0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. I am back in the chair this week after a nice, relaxing week off, my first of the year. I think I didn't notice how much time uh, I had been in the chair without a week off, and last week I really did enjoy sitting back and listening to the show unfold each day. We had different Guests sitting in last week and uh, different shows from the past that you got to enjoy. But uh, I am, of course, very glad to be back uh, in the studio this week and I will be here for the foreseeable future. Uh, Also, if you are just getting into work and moving on with your day, can't listen to the show right now, you can hear today's full edition of Detroit Today On our Detroit Today podcast, go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts and subscribe and download, and you can listen to Detroit Today whenever and wherever you want. All right, today we want to talk about the first 100 days of the presidency of Donald Trump. Last week marked the official end of that 100-day period, and today we're going to spend some time with two people who really have thought pretty deeply about this stuff, thought about it for a long time, about what that 100 days really looks like, put it in some context, put it in historical context, put it in political context. And of course, we want to hear from you, the listeners, about what you think about this first 100 days of the Trump presidency. 313-577-1019 is the number. Tell us how you think the president is doing, how you think this administration is coming together. What things do you give credit to Donald Trump for getting done in that first 100 days. Uh, What things do you wish he had been able to accomplish that he didn't quite get done? And what do you think uh, we have to look forward to for the rest of this presidency? Is it off to the start that you expected? Is it off to the start that you believe will make it uh, effective to do the things that you want to do? Or you think we're watching a rolling disaster? Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join that conversation. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page and put your comments there. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will... Uh, work your comments into the conversation. As I said, today we're going to talk about this first 100 days of uh, Donald Trump's uh, administration. And my first guest is somebody who has uh, staked out a very extreme oppositional position to Donald Trump dating back to the earliest days of the 2016 presidential campaign bill crystal is in town today for the michigan state university institute for public policy and social Research's first 100 days of the trump administration program that takes place at 5 30 this evening at the kellogg center auditorium in east lansing that event is free and open to the public it will also feature ron fournier of crane's detroit business bill crystal of course is a political analyst and commentator he is the founder an editor-at-large of The Weekly Standard. And he joins us now to talk about this first 100 days of Donald Trump. Bill Crystal, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Thanks. Good to be here. Good to be in Michigan. Absolutely. Welcome back to you, to your show.
0: Yes. Uh, uh, so let's start with uh, just your assessment. As I said in the, in the intro there, uh, I think uh, among conservative commentators, you took a, 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 a lead position, really, uh, I think, in opposition to Donald Trump. Uh, such so, so much so that uh, the, the the president himself has uh, taken shots at you for uh, ver- for various things that you've said uh, or done. Uh, I, I I just quickly want to get your your you know uh, back of the back of the cocktail napkin uh, assessment of what we've seen in this hundred days and sort of what it, what it means uh, casting forward.
1: I mean, obviously, the stipulation has to be that a hundred days is what seven percent or so of a of a uh of a pre- for one term of a presidency, so it's very hard to tell you know you <laughs> would have not it would have been hard to predict after reagan 's hundred days that he would be as consequential as he turned out or and so forth so obviously stipulating that i guess I would say i 've seen nothing much to change my view that Donald Trump shouldn't be our forty fifth you know it's unfortunate that he's our forty fifth president uh, he's not uh, well qualified for the job in all kinds of ways, and as a conservative, he's not particularly enamored of various conservative principles of limited government and uh, respect for the constitution, or even American leadership abroad. On the other hand, it hasn't been as disastrous as some people thought. Um, I think, in retrospect, the most important thing—I mean, the Gorsuch, for conservative—the Gorsuch appointment to the Supreme Court was good. He took a very well qualified person. That he let the pros manage the confirmation process. Uh, Gorsuch did very well. He was confirmed. So if you're a conservative who believes in that form of constitutional interpretation, you're pleased by uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch being on the Supreme Court, and that counts for a fair amount. In foreign policy, which is my greatest fear about Trump, I'm somewhat reassured. I'm reassured because Mike Flynn, President Trump's original pick for National Security Advisor, uh, left within a month, was fired within a month, replaced by H.R. McMaster, someone I know slightly and have a very, very high regard for. Uh, so I do think actually if the Trump presidency is non-disastrous, let's say, um, <laughs> the replacement of Flynn by McMaster will be something that historians will say that was a key moment.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I often ask this of, of conservatives. Uh, <clears throat> what do you think the Donald Trump presidency means to conservatism? Is it a threat to the kind of conservatism that, uh, that, for instance, you've embraced for a long time? Uh, is it a threat to the sort of mainstream uh, notions of conservatism? I think one of the things that we've seen unfold over this last 100 days is how difficult It has been for this president to deal with a Congress that is full of conservatives. I mean, he has control of both houses. uh, And it is somewhat uh, true that 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 mainstream conservatism defines uh, the the, the Republican caucuses in those in those chambers, more so perhaps in the Senate than in the House, I suppose. Uh, But but what is the what does what does Donald Trump mean? to that conservatism is he a threat to the sort of uh, uh, the conservative establishment the, to the conservative thinking uh, is he a threat to uh, the long-term health of of mainstream conservatism in this country
1: yeah sure he is i mean that's one reason i think conservatives like me were so uh, unhappy to see Trump take over the Republican Party. I mean, he did it fair and square, as Paul Ryan said. He won the primaries, won the, won the, won the, won the election—a big surprise. But uh, the Republican Party been the vehicle for uh, American conservatism and its various strands, and uh, Trump now was the president, uh, the Republican president of the country. Um, so, sure. I mean, one reason I'm so unhappy about Trump is I think it's pretty important for the country and for the world, honestly, to have a party that believes. In American leadership abroad, in free trade, uh, in uh, you know a constitutional rule of law that is where America is pretty careful about that and tries to make that a model for other nations. And I do think Trump is a, a regression, if I can put it that way, sure. to various forms of populism and pseudo conservatism and even authoritarianism in that in those in many of those respects and also to America First, as he himself says, that was an older strand of American conservatism. One of the great things about American conservatism in the last 70 years as it moved away from sure. uh, America first isolationism and a certain kind of xenophobia to embrace American leadership in the world. So it's a threat. I think the good news if you're a conservative of and there are different stripes obviously of these conservatives but uh, if you're a more traditional, let's put it that way, uh, American conservative um, is that I don't think Trump has succeeded in remaking the party in his image. You know, If you look at the Senate or the House you sort of alluded to this you don't see a huge number of Trumpites you see people who want Trump to succeed. You see people who are trying to accommodate Trump as they would any republican president they 're giving him a fair amount of running room they 're maybe modifying their own views a little bit to you know to, 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 to try to compromise with the president. But I so far don 't see the kind of takeover of the Republican Party that some people fear but yeah. it 's early, and we don 't know sort of how this plays out both in terms of governance and in terms of um, elections in thousand and eighteen and after that. In terms of the Republican Party, sure. I mean, one thing is, it's not as if he's really succeeded in any huge way. If, if you had a populist president of the Trump sort who would come in and, you know, fundamentally changed our trade policy and was getting applause for that, and pulled us out of alliances, and the public seemed to like that, and you know, we're doing things, you know, he issued executive orders on immigration that it just sailed through, and we're getting standing ovations. That would be one thing. He's hit resistance from various players in the system, if you want to put it that way. American institutions seem pretty resistant to a Trump-like leader, which is good, I think. And the party, actually, after an initial bout of, you know, saying, well, gee, we don't want to take him on, uh, has made clear at the party in Congress that these people are elected, too. Uh, A lot of them were elected by bigger margins than Donald Trump, incidentally. If you're a Republican senator or even a Republican House member, you don't think your main job is to rubber-stab Donald Trump's, views and policies. Mm-hmm. You try to get along with the president of your party, just as Democrats did with President Obama, despite their doubts about various of his policies. But you also think that, gee, on tax policy or health care or foreign policy, I've got my views and I'm going to try to push the administration in this direction. So I'm, I'm somewhat heartened by the fact that Republicans on the Hill, I think, are, are finding a little uh, nerve to stand up to Trump. Yeah.
0: Uh, this is Detroit Today. I'm on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Bill Kristol, political analyst and commentator, founder and editor at large of the Weekly Standard. He's in town today for the Michigan State University Institute for Public Policy and Social Research's first 100 days of Trump administration program. It is at 530 this evening at the Kellogg Center Auditorium in East Lansing. It is free and open to the public. It will also be feature Ron Fournier of Cranes Detroit Business. Uh, Bill Kristol and I are now talking about that first 100 days of the Trump administration. Uh, What have we seen? Have we seen more or less than we thought we would? Uh, Are we comforted or frightened, I suppose, by the things that we have seen so far from this administration? And what does it mean for the rest of this uh, presidency, three and uh, almost two-thirds more years uh, that we will have pre- uh, uh, Donald Trump as president uh, as as our constitution sets out. Uh, what do we expect? What do we expect will happen or that we will see from this presidency over that time? That first 100-day marker is not just an historical marker that we use to judge presidents' early performance. It's something that Donald Trump himself has uh, pointed to repeatedly as Uh, a marker, a framework for judging what he does from the White House. If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. What do you think of this first 100 days of the Trump presidency? What do you think of the things that he's done by executive order, for instance? Those are almost all of the things that he's been able to accomplish. No significant legislation was passed in that first 100 days. Uh, What do you think about these executive orders? What do you think about the effect of them not just now, but over time uh, in our country? And are you sort of looking forward to perhaps a more traditional form of governance to emerge from this presidency? Will he start to work with Congress to get legislation passed? 313-577-1019, again, is the number. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page and put your comments there, uh, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work your comments into the conversation, uh, Bill Crystal, I also want to ask you about the the relationship between uh, the Republican Party and Trump, as it as it relates to uh, the creation of Donald Trump. In other words, uh, there are there are many things that I think we can all agree uh, failed or uh, didn't perform the way they should have that left us in the position that we're in now where somebody who has no political experience and maybe not even an appropriate temperament uh, is is the president of the United States what do you see as the failures that took place inside the Republican party uh, that helped him Win the nomination, uh, and then ultimately win the presidency. Lots of people point to, to Hillary Clinton and the things, the the missteps that she made. I think that uh, you've got to sort of look at both sides of the ledger here.
1: Yeah, you do. I mean, I think a lot of it was honestly luck, or 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 and it's cleverness by Trump. I mean, he had Bush as his Jeb Bush as his main opponent apparently uh, to start with. Jeb raised all that money and was uh, supposed to be the front runner. I was always skeptical that the Republicans were not were going to nominate another Bush and have another Bush Clinton race after having. I was involved in the one in '92. It just seemed like that was awfully backward-looking for a country that wants to be kind of forward-looking. And also, the country was want a change, and we were going to nominate. Each party was going to nominate someone who almost embodied, I mean, sort of literally, you might say, the, the governing, you know, class of the last 25 years or mm-hmm. so. So I was always a Bush skeptic. Having said that, I think Trump was extremely fortunate to be able to play off Bush at first and then Hillary Clinton and be the outsider and the vehicle of change. I So many people who voted for Trump who were skeptics, both in the primary and certainly in the general election, but they just wanted change and they were willing to kind of roll the dice and, and take the risk. It did turn out that Republican primary voters' attachment to various conservative principles was a little more flexible than some people thought. Um, again, one can overinterpret that. Perhaps maybe just if Marco Rubio or Jeb Bush or Scott Walker or any of those people had been better at presenting those principles and had slightly different backgrounds and looked more commanding, maybe they would have beaten Trump. But Trump came in as this kind of a very you know sort of bombastic outsider. Uh, Republicans always have a candidate like that, yeah. sometimes bombastic, and sometimes not. Herman and Steve Forbes, the businessman who's going to shake things up, usually that candidate falls short. They often have a candidate who's anti-immigration, anti-trade, the Pat Buchanan sort of wing of the party. Uh, they usually fall short. This time it all came together. And, and he won. And I, I think Republicans and conservatives do have to look hard and say, you know, in what ways have we failed to explain our principles? Do our principles need to be rethought some, or at least the way they're, they've been implemented? Obviously, there was a certain disconnect between Republican elites and Republican voters. I've, I think a lot of us have known that for a while, but it was it was stronger than we think. On the other hand, on the other hand, just to be fair. Um, you know, the reason Republican elites believe in these principles is we think they're good for the country. I mean, it's not like we should sort of randomly think, hey, free trade's better than protectionism. There's an awful lot of work that sustains that view, and there's a world order that has been based mostly on a pretty free trade system, which has elevated hundreds of millions of dollars out of poverty over the last 30, 40, 50 years, hundreds of millions, uh, hundreds of, millions of people out of poverty over the last 30, 40 years. So it's not... You know, it's not so easy to just say, well, we're going to accommodate these these public anxieties or or views Mm -hmm. if those views actually lead to policies that would damage the country. Yeah.
0: Uh, again, 313 1019 is the number on the phones, 313 1019 What do you think of President Donald Trump's first 100 days in office? What do you think about the next 1,100 days or so that he will be president uh, before we have another election? Uh, also go to the WDT Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work those comments into the conversation. Let's go to Jeffrey in Detroit. Jeffrey, welcome to the show.
2: Hi. Hey. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just one thing that I haven't really uh, seen mentioned is, you know, Trump makes a big, uh, uh, it's made a big issue out of creating high paying jobs. Whereas his policies and jobs slash income, whereas his policies seem to be curious to quality of life and wealth in that we're creating health issues, environmental issues. And uh, 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 not spending money on the uh, 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 def- uh, technology, science, research, which will eventually weaken the country.
0: Yeah, and and so uh, is that a surprise to you, Jeffrey? That that uh, that he's done that. That he's sort of. Well,
2: I, I just haven't seen many people make the distinction that that it's just an overly simplistic way of looking. Just that if people are going to make higher wages therefore their quality of life is going to go up yeah it's not if, if, if you know given uh, like I said the the the, uh, the erosion of quality of life and uh, and the future
0: yeah yeah no Jeffrey uh, great point um, and and thank you for calling and injecting that into the into the conversation uh, Bill crystal you know wage stagnation is something that we don't talk about as uh, sort of publicly or frequently about, I think, as uh, middle class protection or, or, or growth, but but really uh, one of the things that I thought uh, Donald Trump did very uh, acutely during the, the 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 campaign was was without talking about wage stagnation, talked about this sort of. Uh, angst that the middle class has in more economic terms than than I think other other people did uh, talk about what you you've seen so far from this president as it pertains to job protection and job growth but then also talk about uh, what the Republican sort of uh, framework is for dealing with those issues my sense is that Republicans talk a lot about job protection and job growth but they don't deal with, uh, the, the, the main issue there, which has been wage stagnation, I mean, you look at the growth of productivity over the last 35 or 40 years versus the growth of wages. Uh, there's a real gap there. There's a real uh, disconnect between how hard people are working, how much they're working, and how much they're able to take care of their families. Uh, again, talk about that in terms of Donald Trump and then in terms of the Republican Party.
1: No, it's a big problem, and lots of people have, have studied it, and it's hard to deal with. It's, a lot of it is due to technological advances, which sure. are good for the country, and globalization, which I would say on the whole is good for the country. But, of course, some people uh, are left behind or have a tougher time or switch jobs mid-career and end up with a job that pays 80% as well with less good health benefits and, and so forth. So it's a real challenge. I mean, look, reality's going to tell a lot here. We can sit and talk about... Trump's promises, what he was going to do in the first hundred days and his style and all this, at the end of the day, three years from now, are people in uh, working class and middle class areas, especially in the Midwest here in Michigan and other states that went for Trump, going to be better off or not, or his policy is going to work or not. I don't think uh, you know challenging or threatening the world trading order is going to be very successful. Maybe he'll get slightly better deals on one or two things, but uh, I think to the degree we're you know, discouraging investment by making it seem like free trade is in question. Uh, I don't know that that's going to be good for for workers. Uh, have Republicans or conservatives or liberals been imaginative enough in thinking about policies that would help? I'm not sure they have. I mean, I'm looking at this tax bill that's out there. The obvious way to help working class people is to cut taxes, let them keep more of their income. The main tax burden on the working class is the payroll tax. Just yes. no question about it. It also deters hiring for obvious reasons. It's a tax on labor. If you think capital has done well in the last twenty years and labor's done less well, the easiest thing to do is to cut taxes on labor. Now there are complicated arguments. People can say, well you should cut the corporate tax also because that would encourage investment, fine. But what's what's not in Trump's plan? Payroll tax cut, right. and incidentally, Obama did that in 20, 2011, 12, as I recall, as a kind of stimulus for the economy. And then that got rolled back in a bipartisan way. I remember we we editorialized in favor of keeping the payroll tax cut. It was a one percent cut, and what is it about a 13 percent tax? But mm-hmm. it didn't get kept. So I think both parties have a lot to argue for in terms of permitting public policies to go ahead that have not really helped. Working-class Americans as much as they should have. Having said that, again, it's not so easy. You know, we can sit around and say that people should be attentive to this, people should think about it, but really, if you you know are serious about economics or about public policy and look at the proposals that are out there, some of this is 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 just uh, does seem to be a you know phase we're going through. Uh, Hopefully, we come out the other end the way we did uh, after the transition from agriculture to an industrial economy, and people end up much much better off. And people are, incidentally, even if wage stagnations there, a lot of people are better off. You know, go to a hospital today compared to forty years ago, and for all the problems with our healthcare system, you know, let's see if you don't get better care and if you know many, many more people survive and live longer. But I I do think it's a, uh, and then if you look at family breakdown, that's part of the problem, obviously. But there, no one really knows what government can do. So, I think one thing that would help our discourse is if both parties more honest about the limits of what What maybe government government can do. do. And I don't think, in that respect, I think there's a kind of, you know, Obama and Trump are the flip side. They're very different, of course, but they're sort of the flip side of each other. You know, hope and change, everything's going to be transformed. With Obama and with Trump, it's more of a message of not exactly hope and change, but reaction and fear or something. But Both are are exaggerating Trump, most obviously, which is, I I alone can fix it. That's just childish. And I, I guess what worries me about American politics is that too many people are investing too much. I think they invested too much on the left and Obama. They're investing too much on the populist right and Trump. And it's not serious about how one actually fixes these problems you know the serious changes that we need in education for example which would probably be the best way to help people out of this that requires taking on taking on real interest groups a lot of it will be at the state and local level um and neither actually president obama nor president trump has done much that's really dramatic in that area those in that area i don't think
0: yeah uh let's go back to the phones here linda and marlette linda welcome to detroit today
3: hello hi linda i i do Hi, I do not understand this man you're speaking to, Bill Crystal. He has been against Trump since day one. I don't even believe he's a Republican. I'm a conservative. I don't even associate myself with that party anymore just because they are so warped. They can't get, I'm, I'm going to try and watch my language, but I, I've had it. Trump has given his country back some pride. Nobody's giving him credit for that.
0: Well, what do you mean by that? Nobody's giving him
3: credit for anything.
0: Linda, can you be specific about what that means to you?
3: Go, Go ask anybody on the street that's not a Democrat how they feel right now about the country. Everybody is so optimistic. You look at your 401ks, just since this man's been elected, mine has gone up. I'm finally getting 6%.
0: And you give him credit for that?
3: I do give him credit for that. What did he,
0: what did he do that, that is making your 401k go up?
3: He is giving everybody the optimism, including the people that, in the stock market. So they're putting money into this. They have faith in this man. Nobody's giving him a chance. Everybody is trying to bring him down at every opportunity. Why don't you just give him a break and let it, let's see what happens?
0: Do, do, is that is that the way we typically deal with American presidencies, though, Linda? I mean, do we elect presidents and and just sort of sit back and say, well, now go ahead and do the things that you said you were going to do, and we'll wait uh, to, to judge you until, I don't know, year two or year three? Did you do that for President Obama? It happens
3: to be Yahoo, okay? Every time I open Yahoo, there are 14 stories Trying to bring him down in one way or another. He did this. He did that. Oh, it's so bad. And when Obama was president, it was all good. I,
0: I don't well, understand. I don't remember. Can I, I don't remember that. Like, can I, I, let me yeah, can I, can I, go ahead. Go here in a minute, Linda, can thank I, you very I, much for the call. By the
1: way, I mean, I half agree with Linda. I do think you have a huge amount of the liberal media that are wildly. You know, they're looking for every possible flaw in Trump, some of them very silly and minor. And, and yes, they loved President Obama, especially the first hundred days. Now, we were in a horrible recession and we were getting out of it. Yeah, I think
0: it was a little different. And he he got a lot of criticism, I don't, too. I don't.
1: Oh, yeah, he did. But let's not kid ourselves on an NPR channel that there was, you know, equal skepticism about liberals and conservatives. And there just wasn't. Having said that... My point to Linda would be, look, reality is going to matter. If Donald Trump succeeds over three years, it won't matter what I said after 100 days or what you said after 100 days, obviously. (laughs) And so that's the key. As with Reagan, he was swimming upstream against a much more dominant liberal media establishment without the diversity we have now. Having said that, it's important to – these are real policies – I sort of agree that the markets went up because people just had a sense with Trump that he's pro business and pro investment and it's a little different climate, considerably different climate than it was under Obama. But the policies have to work. I mean the Republican health care alternative to Obamacare and I was a big critic of Obamacare, still am and think they're much better alternatives. But that has to be better actually in the real world. The tax plan actually has to increase investment in wages. So when we criticize Trump or say we don't think this bill is well thought out or this is a much better way to do this it's actually an attempt to and this is your point I think you can't just sit back and say he's in charge for three years let's see how things work you know I would say Congress incidentally people can be sick of the Republicans all they want but or the Democrats but you know people are elected to Congress they have the same status as someone who's elected to the president in the sense of being representatives of the people they have an obligation to do what they think is right they're not supposed to simply say well, let's just let this president uh, put the world trading system at risk or go ahead and dissolve NATO or other such things. So and uh, look, the criticism of Mike Flynn led to his being fired by Trump uh, and being replaced by McMaster. So in that respect, I think critics need to remain critical. I think it has to be a little more perhaps, uh, you know, less sniping about very minor things and focus on the big things. But there's plenty of big things to focus on and to, yeah. and to criticize and to look and for the, hopefully, you know, for the benefit of the country. Yeah.
0: Uh, let's take one more call here before we end the segment. Herb in Northville. Herb, welcome to Detroit today.
2: Uh-huh. Can you hear me? Yep. Go ahead, Herb. Good. All right. So, during the primaries, Republicans, all the all the candidates really laid off uh, Bernie Sanders. Maybe they were assuming, like most of us, that Hillary couldn't look going to win. But during one debate... Uh, John Kasich let slip something, which was, that a, which was that it seemed that among Republicans they believed, and he said it, that if Bernie won the nomination, Republicans would run the table and win all 50 states. Huh. Now I was wondering what uh, Bill Crystal thinks about the hashtag Bernie would have won.
0: Yeah, which, that's, a, that's a great question, Herb. Uh, a good question. Uh, yeah, uh, go ahead,
1: Bill Crystal. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you, know, right. you can't really replay these things. I do think Hillary Clinton was really a, a poor nominee, partly because she just isn't a natural politician, but mostly because people want to change. I mean I was anti Trump, I am anti Trump. I thought Hillary would win like almost everyone else. Having said that I said many times on T V and elsewhere, you know, that I thought there was a one in four chance or so that Trump would win and really the reason I thought that was went back to my experience in nineteen ninety two as part of the first Bush administration. Mm-hmm. Really wasn't that bad a administration. In fact it was a rather I think historians will be rather kind to the first President Bush. We ended the Cold War, won that without firing a shot, came out of a smile mild recession pretty well, passed some bipartisan legislation that stood up pretty well, the Clean Air Act, Americans with Disabilities Act and so forth. But whatever, people want to change after twelve <laughs> years of Reagan and Bush. <laughs> what I learned in that campaign is you can say to your blue in the face that hey, I, we also kind of believe in change even though we've been around a long time, and but if people <laughs> want change, they'll they'll both for They're change. They're going to push it. I out, always, yeah. <laughs> and I always thought that that was a problem for Hillary Clinton that she just never explained what she would do that was different, and people wanted something that was different. So Sanders certainly embodied that. And even though I think some of his economic ideas are ridiculous and would have been bad for the country. He would have been able to be more of a change candidate on the Democratic side yeah. than Hillary Clinton. It, w-
0: it would have been a more—I I think it would have been a very different campaign, obviously Sanders yeah. versus Trump. Uh, I'm not sure who would have come out uh, on top, but I think uh, I-, I-, I do think this idea that people wanted change was the thing that uh, that that drove. Uh, the, the the groundswell that that elected Trump, and I suppose it could have it could just as easily have swung toward uh, toward Bernie Sanders, uh, whose whose likability, if nothing else, uh, was higher than than Donald Trump's. But uh, but again, playing these things out in in retrospect is is kind of an inane exercise, I suppose. Right. Yes. <laughs> because if we can't really determine whether that would have happened. But uh, Bill Kristol, uh, thank you very much for being here with us. My, on
1: Detroit. My, my pleasure. Good, good, good to be
0: with you. Absolutely. Uh, you can catch Bill Crystal tonight uh, at Michigan State University Institute for Public Policy and Social Research's first 100 days of the Trump administration program. That's 530 this evening at the Kellogg Center Auditorium in East Lansing. That event is free and open to the public. It uh, will also feature Ron Fournier of Crane's Detroit business. Okay, when we come back, we're going to talk with Pulitzer Prize winning author and historian David McCullough about his new collection of speeches and we're going to get his view of the first 100 days of Trump's presidency. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019. We will get to you. We'll be right back on Detroit Today.